Do yourself a big, big favor and start taking magnesium breakthrough before you go to bed. Nothing does more for stress than a great night's sleep. And magnesium is critical for getting deep and restorative sleep. I've said this before and I'll say it again. When you're low in magnesium, your stress goes up. And when you stress, it depletes your magnesium. So it's this cycle which drives home the importance of taking a great magnesium supplement. The reason I love Magnesium Breakthrough is is it's so effective because it's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium, all in each pill. Yes, you heard me right. Most magnesium supplements fail because they are synthetic and only contain one or two forms of magnesium. It's just not enough. When you get all seven critical forms of magnesium, that's when the magic happens. Pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your sleep to your brain, from stress to pain and inflammation. And magnesium is also vital for vitamin D absorption. I take two right before bed and have done so for the last year. So for an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash zaddy. That's magbreakthrough, M-A-G. B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com forward slash Zaddy. In addition to the 10% discount you're going to get by using that promo code Zaddy, you will unlock a special gift with the purchase for a limited time only. So go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash Zaddy now to get your gift. Badia Rezai, am I saying that correctly? Rezai, you got it, man. Love it. The Stop Drinking Coach is on the Zaddy Zone today. I can't wait to talk to you, mate. Could you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, Luke. I appreciate you having me on, man. My name is Bardia Rezai. I'm the Stop Drinking Coach. I started the Stop Drinking Coach about a year ago. Yeah, man. It's kind of a crazy story, but um, I'll be 32 here in a couple of days. Grew up in Southern California, moved out to Austin, Texas about a little over two years ago. And Mm -hmm. uh, had a real crazy relationship with alcohol, um, which we can certainly dig into. But alcohol really goes all the way back to my childhood, family, and uh, and then my own deep relationship with it, ultimately leading me to, you know, drinking four to six bottles of wine a day during the pandemic, hitting a rock bottom, and then um, really stepping into a new chapter, getting into coaching, and then um, building the Stop Drinking Coach uh, brand over the last year, and it's been it's been quite the journey. Yeah, let's let's start at your lowest four to six. How many bottles of four to six glasses of wine a day? Bottles during the pandemic. Bottles. Bottles. Yeah, twenty to twenty five classes a day. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, man, that's a job. That's a full time job. Oh, dude, it was. It was. A, yeah. Wow. Yeah, full time job. Um, Tell me about what was going on with you personally when that was was happening. I mean, it was a rough spot to be in, man. When you're that's like a suicidal amount of alcohol, right? That'll kill some people. Like if you're a 100 pound mm-hmm. girl, like you're going to get alcohol poisoning from that. I was a 14 year binge drinker. So I, I started drinking in, in high school, you know, kind of like everybody else. And the very first time I picked up alcohol, I was the type who couldn't just have one, a switch would flip in my brain. And I kept drinking until I either got sick or, or, you know, really drunk. And I uh, was pretty much trapped in that cycle for 15 years, reliving the same week of my life over and over again, 
on the outside, you really wouldn't have known. I was like a high functioning alcoholic, right? I was entrepreneurial. I was in really good shape physically. I was athletic, but inside it was absolutely robbing and destroying my soul. Half of me, half of my personality was really oriented around personal growth and mindset and success and fulfilling my potential. The other half was just absolutely fiending and obsessed for the dopamine high, the dopamine rush that I would get from drinking alcohol every weekend. And so, you know, pandemic hits, the world is in disarray, you know, you stop going into the office, you're working from home. And slowly but surely, you know, I started drinking every single day before it was two to three days a week. Uh, you know, sometimes four, but it was mostly a weekend thing. Once the pandemic hit, um, I started drinking every single day and it gets up to, to four to six bottles of wine a day. And it was, it's absolutely brutal, man. I mean, was just breaking yeah. down mentally, emotionally, physically, um, you know, just in a perpetual fog, perpetual haze before I hit, uh, I hit rock bottom and, and decided, you know, this couldn't continue any longer. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people listening today will be listening from wherever they're at and chances are where they're at is maybe they drink once every couple of weeks and they get hammered. And so, but the rest of their time, the rest of their lives are dedicated to, you know, self-help, getting better. And then like once every two weeks or once a weekend, like once a week, they get hammered. Right. right? And you know, like it's six drinks plus. And, um, that's certainly where I'm at or have been for most of my adult life has been, and I've been thinking a lot about this lately, ever since I've left high school, I have been, I get drunk once a week up until um, I became a father. Every weekend I would get drunk. At around Friday, I'd get itch, the itch. I'd be like, I got to get out there and get drunk. And sometimes multiple times a weekend, mostly just once. And I, I'm, I'm wondering if I've ever really known myself. You know, because I have been, you know, and it's not been like that lately because I'm now a father of two, which has really opened my mind up to sobriety because I don't enjoy waking up hungover anymore. I really want to be sober as much as I can. So I go through long stints of not having any drinks at all. And I realize, like, I, do I know who I am? If I've been drinking every weekend, aka ingesting a poison <laughs> that alters my personality, alters my brain, that it would take a long time to rebuild that brain. Do I know myself? It's a powerful question, man. And I think when we all kind of get to that point where we finally slow down or reflect on a relationship with alcohol, I think that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. I think knowing yourself and understanding yourself is a lot less common than we think. I mean, if we just really look at what's happening here, I didn't ask to be born. You didn't ask to be born. The universe has been around for billions of years. All of a sudden, you and I pop up. There's no user manual for being a human. We don't know why we're here. We don't know where we're going. We kind of get herded through this matrix that we live in through a school system. You know, we learn a certain type of curriculum. We don't learn mental and emotional regulation, right? You go into high school, you go into college, you start drinking, and you just follow the crowd. You follow what everyone's doing. Go to go to school. Then you go to college, you get a good job, you know, and then you, you party Monday through Friday, work hard, party hard. And if you're on that grind for two to three days a week, right, for 10 years from the age of 15 to 25, 15 to 30, 15 to 35, 15 to 40, where do you get time to really dig deep into self-examination and to explore your consciousness, 
and to explore your mind and to explore your emotional system and your capacity and your potential and what you really want, right? Like people underestimate how damaging alcohol is for you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, neurochemically, physically. You know, if you're getting hammered even once a week, you know, it's going to take you realistically five days to get really back up to 100%, right? Right. And then you're back at it the next week, right? Like, sure, maybe you have a good job. Sure, maybe you go to the gym. Sure, maybe you, you take care of your responsibilities. But it's like, when you say, who am I? When you say, I'm trying to understand myself, man, it goes so much deeper. And it's like, if you're on that merry-go-round, if, it, if it's that same week of your life over and over again, I don't know if you really get the chance to explore explore that, you know? And I think that's that's really what we see in our society a lot today. Yeah, because alcohol is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Yeah. And it's not a question whether you will get drunk. You know, it's not a question, you know, there's a question about whether you'll get high on heroin one day. Right. Like, we're not sure, you know, but drunk, you're definitely going to get drunk multiple times. It's just what we do. It's as a society, an unquestioned, an unquestioned part of our society. It's just like, yeah, that's all good. Right. That's good. That's fine. Uh, there's, but there's no other, there's no other drug that's really like that. Maybe other than pot and caffeine that you just go, yep, that's, that's part of it. And it's just a, a given, you know, when you, when you say that you're not drinking, people go, well, what's wrong? And I think that's, what's really interesting about what you're to, what you're, what you talk about is that there is something about you and watching you. I wasn't like, I wasn't like, oh, this is an AA guy, or this is a guy who's saying for, for people out there who have an alcohol problem, it's like, no, alcohol is a problem. It doesn't matter if you <laughs> if you think you have a problem or not. It's probably a problem because it's a poison. Would you say it's a poison? It is a poison. Yeah, like a lot of people think that that's like a just like oh, it's cute. Like oh, it's a metaphor. Like no, like yeah, ethanol gets converted to acetaldehyde, and acetaldehyde mm -hmm. is a class one carcinogen that's connected to two hundred different types of diseases, multiple different types of cancer damages your DNA, kills your cells, ages you, disrupts your energy system. Like it, it's literal. You're like when you're drunk, that feeling, that's the state of being poisoned. When you're seeing double, when you can't walk straight, that is the state we call that drunk and we laugh, but that is the state. That is what it feels like to be poisoned. But alcohol, it's the Trojan horse because while it's doing that, it's tapping your dopamine. It's tapping the ancient primal system in your brain, the reward center. And so mm. for your brain, it's jacking up your dopamine 4x above baseline, which you're not meant to experience more than 100, right? So like kind of the neuroscience here help you understand. So like in, you know, there's this great video on YouTube by this neuroscientist. He says the three most important things in, in life are food, water and dopamine, right? If it wasn't for dopamine, we would not have evolved as humans into 2023. It's responsible for feelings of pleasure and reward and motivation and movement and forward progress. So anytime, you know, throughout our evolution, when we did something good, like have sex, eat food, make meaningful progress towards acquiring resources, our brain secretes dopamine and it, it makes us feel good. And as a result, that sends a signal to every cell in the body that says reinforce that behavior. So anything that produces a high level of 
dopamine automatically becomes reinforced. So on average, the average person has about 50 nanograms per deciliter of dopamine in their brain. Now, to give you some context, if one day, Luke, somebody came up to you and said, we're firing you from your job, right? Imagine the, the, the shot to the kidney, how much that would hurt, right? Like it would really depress you. It'd just make your day shitty. That would drop your dopamine from 50 to 40. Okay. So just to give you some context. Now, if you can't get out of bed, the way this neuroscientist explains it, like you literally can't sit up, your dopamine's at a 10, you're clinically depressed. Mm -hmm. Now, on the contrary, on the other side, when you have sex and you eat your absolute favorite food, whatever it is, your dopamine spikes about double to about 90 to 95. So really in normal, natural, everyday human society, we are not meant, our brains are not tooled to experience more than let's say a hundred in terms of the reward and pleasure scale. Now, when you drink alcohol, yeah. it spikes your dopamine up to 200, 190 to 200. So you're effectively doubling the amount oh of reward your brain is feeling double sex, double sugar in your favorite food, right? And so consciously, you like understand that alcohol is poison, that it's slowing you down. It's not allowing you to fulfill your potential and be the best version of yourself in your relationships, in your work, in the pursuit of your goals and your career and everything else that you probably envision for yourself. But the brain mm -hmm. does not care. Alcohol comes in like a Trojan horse and it's literally like the jackpot going off for your brain. It's getting a $10 million jackpot every time you drink. And so it's this baffling counterintuitive thing where it's like, like I, I think the Trojan horse analogy is so great, right? It, it's marketed to us as this thing that's fun and exciting and relaxing and stress relieving and it's sophisticated and it's sexy and it's going to make you more attractive and it's part of the end game. That's why every commercial you see is people sitting on a beach drinking Budweiser and Corona, right? But when it comes into your brain, it's altering really one of the most important systems that is responsible for your forward progress as a human being, your motivation system. And mm -hmm. that is why you see with people who develop alcohol use disorder, become alcoholics, they start to prioritize the alcohol over everything else. Their health takes a backseat. Their relationships take a backseat. They're not showing up to work the way that they could be, right? Their priorities, their values, they're falling short on their goals, their standards. And it just becomes about alcohol because out, it's like, why go out? Why push? Why become a better version of yourself? Why try to get a better job? Why try to move up in society? Why try to climb the ladder? Why try to mm. overcome your fears and anxieties and pains and and express and, and become more when you can just go pay $5 at a store and just tap the jackpot like a button. Right. What I'd really love to know is like over time, you know, so you might be listening, people might be listening to this going, oh, okay, well, if it gives you a dopamine smack, then that's cool. But what's wrong with that? It's like, so what does it do to you over time? Does it deplete your dopamine? Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's the question, right? So the brain is always trying to maintain a level balance right? Homeostasis. Mm. There's a, a saying, there's no free lunch in nature, right? There's for every action, right. there's an equal and opposite reaction. So when you, right, let's say your dopamine sitting at a 50, you drink alcohol, you take it up to 200 for a few hours and you're having whatever time of your life you think. Before it comes back down to 50, now it's going to tip to the equal and opposite direction. 
And so the next day you feel like absolute shit because now you're in a dopamine deficit state. You're in a GABA deficit state, right? All of your neurotransmitters are imbalanced and in, in, a, in a deficient state. And so now let's say you're minus, you're minus 50 or whatever the numbers are, right? I'm not exactly sure what, what that looks like, but now you're in a deficient state, right? That's why the next day you feel unmotivated, you're canceling plans, you just want to sit around and watch Netflix, you want to order food, right? Now, before it returns back up to 50, it's actually not going to return back up to 50 with repeated exposure, right? So now mm. it's going to come back and your brain thinks, hey, well, I'm getting this substance outside of the, the system, and it's jacking up the dopamine. So we don't need to produce as much dopamine anymore because now we're getting it, you know, plugged in through alcohol. So over time, your natural dopamine levels start to lower. You go from, let's say, 50 to 49 to 48. And after 10 years of drinking multiple days per week, right, now your dopamine's just sitting at a 40, right? You're always, wow. life is always kind of just feeling hard. And like dull yeah. and not that exciting unless it involves alcohol, right? Now you're thinking about alcohol more. Hey, is there going to be alcohol at the party? Oh, we're going out this weekend. Are they, are they serving alcohol, right? Like yeah. it starts to, everything starts to become about the alcohol because it's like, dude, we're, we're just these organic pieces of matter that happens to have consciousness, but this whole system is driven by neurochemistry. So yeah. At any point, how you feel about yourself, your mood, your energy, your motivation, it's all based on this balance of neurochemistry in your brain. And alcohol just wreaks absolute havoc on it, lowering it, lowering it, lowering it, lowering it until what is alcoholism? What is alcoholism? Alcoholism is the dependency of, of alcohol based on this dopamine feeding cycle, right? Your, your dopamine is now so low. And the only thing that motivates you to get it back up for you to feel normal again, and to feel a sense of presence and connection is alcohol. And it's just the cycle that keeps people trapped. Yeah. And I don't think that that's very uncommon. In fact, I think like I've felt that before where you think, when's my next fun time? Like when's the next good time coming? Yeah. <laughs> and so you think like the weekend is the bit, like it's like Friday night. That's what I got to aim for. Like my entire week is is aimed at Friday night or Saturday night. My entire week is like almost based on the um on a, this substance. It's like that substance is going to make me feel good, and I'm going to make sure that I'm prepared for it. I'm going to like you know I'm going to look great. I'm going to work out for it. I'm going to work hard so that I can enjoy that more. And your week is actually based around that. It's and and it must be weird when you take that away because you're kind of taking away the target of so many people's mm -hmm. lives. Yeah. I mean, and I know that I felt it, no judgment here. Cause I've, I've, I've been that person and I still get like that one sometimes, you know? Uh, so what happens when you take away the target? It's a good question, man. Everybody reacts differently. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people experience some stress, some anxiety, maybe low bouts of depression. They lose a sense of purpose, right? Like dopamine yep. is tied to purpose. Right. So when we make that forward progress and dopamine gets secreted, that send a positive, that's sending a positive signal to the mind and to the body and to your behaviors and to your brain and to your cells to say, hey, this is important. That's why you're feeling good. Let's repeat this. This is how we evolve. Right. And so when you take that away for people, they're like, it leaves a void for a lot of people. Right. It's like, okay, well, what mm. am I supposed to do with my time? How do I spend the weekends? And so this is why I say, like, man, Quitting drinking has nothing to do with alcohol. 
It's the process of returning home to yourself and finally beginning to work through all of the things that you were ignoring, being on the merry-go-round, just getting fucked up every weekend, right? Like, why are you here on earth? What are your gifts? What are your talents? What do you want to do? How do you want to impact people? How do you want to serve people? What's your potential? What's all the pain from your childhood, from your upbringing, from your relationship with your family and parents that you haven't processed that's dysregulating you mentally and emotionally, causing you to become overly triggered all the time or causing you to be distrusting of people or keeping your heart closed or affecting your self-confidence or self-worth, right? Like when you remove the alcohol, it finally clears space for you to begin addressing your humanity. Why are we here, man? We're not just here to just be born and to be herded through a system and then to just get a job you're not that stoked about and then to just get fucked up every weekend for 40, 50 years and then retire. Like, dude, there's more to the story. There's more to the picture. And that's scary, right? Like, yeah, you can almost see that in, you know, people's entire lives, adult lives are aimed at alcohol. Like they've set that up as the target. That's the dopamine hit that they're looking for. And that they live their entire lives looking for that dopamine hit that, that that depresses them. They're aiming at something that doesn't do them any good, that takes them away from their feelings, that numbs them, that uh, makes them feel good even though like it's not from a good thing. Like you can see how dopamine works in nature. It's like having sex drives your dopamine up and that's a good thing. We need to be having sex. Yeah. Number one, it's amazing for us. Number two, like we need to procreate. That's a necessary thing. You know, getting food, for instance, like getting money that, that, that acquires food, getting money that pays for you, the roof over your head. Like all of those things are like dopamine hit, dopamine hit, dopamine hit, because they're good for you and they're necessary. Whereas when your dopamine is based around this, this poison, it's like, what are you doing? You're on a merry-go-round. Totally. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you can't win the alcohol game. You can't beat alcohol, right? There's Mm. always going to be hundreds of thousands of more gallons of alcohol being produced. You can't out drink your pain. You can't out dress your out drink your stress. You can't out drink your perpetrators. You can't out drink the government that you're mad about. You know, the, the world that you hate, the short end of the stick, the deck of cards that you got, the family you got, like, The reason people drink is because there's an underlying level of dysregulation inside of them mentally, emotionally, energetically, spiritually, maybe. Right. And so it's like alcohol is a very bad God to have because it just enslaves you further and further every time you drink because there's millions of gallons of it and your brain chemistry is sensitive. And every time you drink more of it, it becomes a little bit more dependent on it, you Mm. know? And so it's like, it's the worst type of reward to have because it's like, it just enslaves you. And when you're in it, it feels like, man, the thought and idea of trying to give this thing up or losing it seems impossible. It seems so scary. It seems terrifying. Why? Very simple. Dude, it's tapping. It's giving. It's like, imagine you have this thing where every week you go play it and you win the jackpot. You just pay 10 bucks and you just win the jackpot. That's what it's doing for your brain. You know, and so the thought and idea of not being able to experience that type of pleasure, euphoria or release is terrifying for people. But what I'll tell you is that the way that you quit drinking and the way that anybody quits drinking who gets sober is you just go one day at a time and you, and you got to be proactive about it, right? Like I say this all the time in my content, in my podcasts, like quitting drinking has nothing to do with alcohol. It's 
It's the process and journey of returning home to yourself to begin optimizing mentally, emotionally, spiritually, energetically. And how do you build a life for yourself where you're able to sustain that? That's, that's mm-hmm. the question. And that's, that's what we should be thinking about. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I do think it's interesting because you go, I love that about, you know, alcohol is a bad God to have. And there are a lot of bad gods to have. And a lot of people make different gods that are, you know, money is not a shitty God too. Yeah. Money can leave and it's like, you don't have a God anymore. But alcohol is not, um, it's the opposite of reality. It's like, you've got a dopamine hit from not doing anything. And yeah, that's not the way the dopamine is supposed to work. Yeah. You've just, you've just bought it. You've just paid a little bit of money and you get it easy. Anyone can go and get it right now at a 7-Eleven, like boom, done, dopamine hit. Right. And so that, you know, if, if alcohol is your God or one of your gods, then um, it's fake and you're not in reality. You're actually, and, and, and it would be a question for anybody who is dependent on alcohol, who, who alcohol is one of their gods. Do you actually think you're in reality if this is one of your gods? Do you actually think you see reality? Do you actually think that you can have any opinion on the way that the world works, for instance, <laughs> when your God is a sedative depressant, what do you think that you know about the world if this is your God? Yeah, I mean, it, it completely warps your reality. And mm. when you're in it and you're in denial, it's like, yeah, fuck off. You know, like you don't want to hear it. You don't care because you're riding yeah. the dopamine wave, right? Like you're not willing, you're not. You're not willing to to face the pain. You're not willing to face the truth. But man, it it warps you so many ways. And it is it isn't until you spend enough time away from alcohol that you begin to wake up and that clarity sets in that you discover like, holy shit, I've been I've been truly not only not connected to myself, but not connected to my environment, not really connected to my relationships. Um, and I was in a I was in a fog, I was in a haze you know? Yeah. yeah. Do you speak in different, I'm interested in how you work. I mean, when you have a client, do you speak in different contexts? Like are there people with varying degrees of, you know, alcohol dependence, alcoholism? Because, you know, for instance, I would consider myself like, I'm not cu- trying to cover up any trauma by drinking. I drink because, and when I have drunk, is because I think that I'm socially conditioned to do so, aka it was just what you do with the boys every Saturday is you go. And so I'm wondering if you see different contexts within this. Are there a million different contexts dependent on the person? Or is it everyone who drinks regularly has a problem? What are you? What's your opinion on that? That's a good question, man. I'll address the last part first. So does everybody who drink, who drinks alcohol have a problem? No. If you can moderate your alcohol and manage your alcohol, let's say, right, it's a completely take it or leave it relationship. You can have one or two, stop, not crave more. You cannot drink for a few weeks and you don't think about it and it doesn't matter. You have a controlled relationship with alcohol, right? But if you Google it, the stats and the data, it says like only 10, 12% of people have alcohol use disorder, which is just nonsense. It, it's got to right. be closer to like 30%, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you know if your relationship is problematic? Well, you've tried to cut back and you've been unsuccessful. When you drink, you drink more than you typically promise yourself or say you're going to. You wake up feeling a sense of shame or guilt for what you said or what you did. 
And um, you, you think about alcohol a lot, right? It's like it's you're tethered to it. You think about, okay, you look forward to it, right? There's like a, there's a mental sort of obsession. When am I going to have my next drink? When am I going to finally be able to relax? When am I going to be able to finally unplug, right? So there, there's a, a few different things that to, to consider to determine, you know, if your relationship is problematic. But when it comes to... And behavior, would you say? Sorry. And behavior also, like things that people do that are you know, that they live to regret or that they, yeah. they're like, they were really stupid. Is yeah. that also a thing? Definitely, man. Yeah. Like a- acting out of character, out of alignment mm. of who you truly are, right? Like not being able to control that means that you have a problematic relationship with the substance, right? Let's remember that alcohol is a, is a drug, right? It's addictive. It has a very high addictive potential. And so if, if you can't have one or two, and control it and manage it and moderate it, anything beyond that is going to fall on the spectrum of alcohol use disorder. And that's a spectrum, right? And so yeah. for everybody, it is a little bit different. Some people have a lot of trauma, right? And really tough childhood and upbringing with, you know, their parents not being fully present or abuse mm-hmm. or narcissism or all different types of, you know, there's a million ways it could show up. For some people, you know, I have some clients who, who got a lot of trauma got other clients who they're like, man, my, my upbringing was pretty good. I mean, mom's still around, dad's still around. I still talk to him on a regular basis. I don't harbor any resentment. You know, there was no addiction in the family. I just kind of got into it. You know, I started drinking in high school and in college and it was kind of fine. And then all of a sudden five years ago or three years ago, or when the pandemic hit, things just got worse, right? Like most of my clients are 40 to 70 and many of them were like, You know, I would say half of them always knew that it was a problem and it finally has just gotten to the point where it's the pain is outweighing the pleasure. And some of Mm -hmm. them are like, it was just kind of fine. And and all of a sudden, like I say, there's this invisible line and you don't know how far along your journey that invisible line is going to be crossed. But once you cross it, there's no going back. You know, I crossed that the first first time I picked up a drink. It's just like the way my brain chemistry is is wired, right? But for some people, Got it on. might take 30 years, you know? So you're saying the line is the line where you can't stop. That's the line. Where once you develop a problematic relationship, you can't really go back to moderation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so a lot of your clients, that's what you're saying, is like they 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 don't have the possible like the possibility of of two drinks a month right is just not a possibility possibility. even one drink will push them exactly yeah i mean that's that's alcoholism that's that's alcohol use disorder is you can't moderate and manage it one is not enough and a thousand is too many or, or something along those lines right like yeah it's a little bit different for everybody you know it's a little bit different for everybody and it shows up a little bit different but the thing that you just ultimately have to realize is like if this thing has become problematic in your life, you have to be willing to look at the pain because it's ultimately the pain that's going to drive you to stop. If there is no pain, if there is no consequences, if there is no hangover, if there is no damage to our entire system, people would just keep tapping the button, right? Just like rats, they kill themselves when they give them the cocaine water. They just keep tapping it until they overdose. In a way, alcohol is the same, right? If there wasn't that pain, if there wasn't those downstream consequences, you would just keep tapping the dopamine because you're just, it's reward, reward, reward. That's what the brain seeks. That's what the brain thinks is, is helpful towards its evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if you could speak in the context of essentially me. Um, I'm not sure you speak in my context because I think a lot of people listening 
maybe put themselves in the same boat as me, which is I'm I'm a rare drinker, but when I drink, I, I drink hard. I maybe drink once every two months and I get drunk. And I'm really at the end of, I'm really examining alcohol's role in my life. Thanks to my kids, thanks to needing to get up early and being a dad. And, and I'm loving, by the way, seeing the sunrise from this direction. Like I, I have trauma, I think, from seeing the sunrise and regretting my entire night. You know that feeling? Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you start hearing the birds chirping in the morning. Oh, my God. And you might go outside and you see people running and you're like, I wish I was them. I wish I, I was running at 7 a.m., you know, and I, you know, so I'm examining alcohol in my life, its role and its purpose, what it covers for me, what it like, as in like, what it, what tarpaulin is it like, what's it throwing over in my life? How does it get in the way of my potential? Let's talk, if, if I, if we may, in that context, what's a way that we can figure out if it's actually getting in the way of our potential? How do we know? Yeah, that's a good question, man. So I would think it can, I mean, alcohol affects multiple faculties, right? So it's going to affect your mental clarity. It's going to affect your emotional system, how much anxiety that you have, um, how triggered you get, how you manage your stress, right? Like it affects cortisol. It can also affect your your energy system and, and physically, Right. So where what, what you ultimately have to do is you have to really take an, an honest self inventory and hold the mirror up and say, is this use getting in the way of what do I want to what I want to accomplish and what I want to achieve? Right. But in order to do that, you have to like have a roadmap. Like, what is my potential? Right. What am I trying to get to? What are my goals? Is it work wise? Is it health wise? Is it revenue wise? Is it relationships? Right. If you don't know where you're going, then by default, you're just going to float by. And so your time isn't going to be fully structured. The way that you manage your mind and your energy and your consciousness isn't going to be fully structured. So you're just going to kind of float. Right. And when you're floating, Mm -hmm. when you're just kind of in limbo, it's easy to drink because you don't know where you're going. You don't know why you're going there. Right. You're not like connected to it. So I think it really is about like just being honest with yourself. Like, here's the deal too. It's like, there's a lot of people who just are totally fine waking up and going to work and coming home and cracking a beer and watching football. And like, Hey, you're an adult. You can do whatever you want. Right. Some, and it's like, it's about your mindset. You know, not everybody has a growth mindset. You know, I think to really do this thing, You have to develop a growth mindset. If you have a fixed mindset because of all the trauma and the pain and the limited map of reality that you have because you haven't read books and gotten into personal growth and all these different types of things and looked at the potentials and possibilities of life and you're happy with that, like, hey, who who am I to judge, right? It's your life. Mm. This is your incarnation. You get to live it out how you want. But if there's an inkling inside you that you could be better, that life could be better, that you could earn more, that you could give more, that you could have more, that you could make a greater impact, that there's gifts inside of you. There's something inside of you that you want to express, some way that you want to help people, some way that you want to 
be recognized or to give back to others, like then, then you have to look at your alcohol use in the context of that and say, okay, if I drink once and get blasted every two months, like, is it getting in the way? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. No. Everybody moves at different speeds. Everybody has different goals, but like the, the most important thing is self-honesty. Yes. Um, I'm quite a, uh, I think I, I'm quite a self-aware person. I grew up um, in a very Christian household. And the great thing about Christianity as far as, and religiousness, I think as far as uh, self-awareness is you're told that you're sinful and you have to be aware of how sinful you are. And when I stopped drinking due to my kids, like essentially with my, with my second son, my wife was pregnant. I basically joined her for the most part in her sobriety, like, cause she wasn't drinking. So I wasn't drinking either. Then when I did drink, I noticed in the week after it, that I would go back to emotional habits that I'd forgotten about, meaning um, particularly I would get frustrated with other people when it was really on me. Like I would get unreasonably frustrated with other people and go, I they're getting in my way. Like just get out of my way. Like it's, this, this person's effing up mm. and it's like actually – it's 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 me and like the the other person's not doing anything wrong. I was unreasonably frustrated with people who weren't doing anything wrong, you know. And I was like, wow, I felt that. I used to feel that all the time, and I, I've stopped. And then, bam, I get hammered one Saturday night, and I'm like, that the entire week or the days afterwards, I was like, wait, I'm back. Like I'm back doing that, and it was so weird. And I think that's what you're talking about. Is this is like if you're looking to develop personally if you want to be a better human being and have better relationships and you want to be less anxious and less depressed and you want to be able to enjoy things more in your life that are good like sex and food and like getting shit done maybe alcohol isn't your best mate yeah yeah man like quitting drinking was the single best decision i've ever made and the 5 million decisions I've made since I was born, you know? And if yeah. you've developed a problematic relationship with alcohol in any capacity, quitting drinking, I can bet everything on it. All of it will be the best decision of your life. It seems tough. It seems scary. How am I going to socialize? What are my weekends going to look like? You know, all that stuff. Like I get it. You know, when I was at rock bottom, you know, four to six bottles of wine a day. My left shoulder was dislocated, mangled in the pool. I'd just been driving my life into the ground in the most excruciating pain of my life. Like the thought and idea of giving it up at 29 years old, a few months away from turning 30 was, I was like, come on, like this is the, this is, I'm not going to get to drink in my thirties. Alcohol was God for me. It was the best thing that I'd ever found, but it was, it was what quitting drinking is, is it's giving up one thing to gain everything else in your life back. And it takes time. But when you, when you do it, do it the right way, you work a proactive system, like where it's not just about like putting the bottle down, you put the bottle down and you get your shit together, right? You begin optimizing mentally, emotionally, spiritually, start taking ownership, responsibility, expanding your map of reality, setting goals breaking through barriers, overcoming your fears, overcoming your anxiety. Like, dude, the possibilities and potential is absolutely endless. I mean, if you can imagine it in your mind, it's possible. 
when you remove the alcohol because you don't really have any excuses anymore. You can't say, oh, well, I don't have my weekends because I'm partying. You can't say, oh, well, I was fucked up or, you know, I was hung over. Like, dude, it's full ownership and responsibility at that point. You have all of your time back. You have all of your mental faculties operating. You have your energy as good as it could be. At that point, it's like, man, removing the alcohol just really shines the light on you because it's like, how are you living? What are you eating? What time are you waking up? How are you managing your time? Are you going to the gym? Are you following through on the things that you, that you said you would? You know, mm -hmm. Are you pursuing that goal that you want? But when you're drinking, it's kind of easy to just let those things take an extra 10 years or five years because you're just kind of do enough to get by kind of comfortable, right? And then you're just tapping your dopamine without really earning it. And it's like, yeah, sure. You work. It's like, man, well, I, I drink to, to de-stress after a long day work. Well, welcome to being an adult. Like, this is just what you do. You work and you don't get, you don't like, you don't get a reward for just doing what you have to do to survive. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's a whole nother rabbit hole we can go through. Right. It's like, you got, yeah. we have a lot of children or emotionally immature individuals living in adult bodies and like removing the alcohol, man, it's really a process of waking up and growing up. You know, how long yeah. are we going to keep the party going? Yeah. My sweet zaddies. This episode of the Zaddy Zone is brought to you by a product I use literally every morning first thing. AG1. It is the ultimate multivitamin, especially if you want to make health and wellness simple for yourself. So what's in it and why do I take it every morning? Well, one scoop of AG1, I'm absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, adaptogens to help me start my day right. This special blend of ingredients supports gut health, the nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. My favorite ingredients in particular in there, I love getting zinc first thing in the morning and I love getting some ashwagandha because I know it's great for all of those stressful days, right? It's keto, it's paleo, it's vegan. Can you imagine meeting that as a person, a keto paleo vegan, they would be terrible. But this as a product is delicious. It supports clear thinking, better gut health. It's a delicious way to start every day. And you start the day with like a serving of greens. That is a win. Let's talk cost. $3 a day. Don't at me. Less than a coffee a day. You can have athletic greens. $3 a day. I started drinking it because Andrew Huberman drinks it. David Sinclair drinks it. Tim Ferriss drinks it. And I do what they do because, well, they, they know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Athletic Greens is going to give you, listen to this, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash zaddy. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash zaddy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It's a, a question for you. Um, what about like with you personally – how how quickly could you go from four to six bottles of wine to zero drinks per week? Like, how quickly did you? I went cold this? turkey, man. I wouldn't recommend that to everybody. Um, uh -huh. I didn't really even think about DTs or like dangerous withdrawal symptoms. I mean, I had just I dislocated my shoulder. I didn't. I don't think we really went into that story, but like, I was in yeah. the most excruciating pain of my life. My life. I ran through everything. I realized that the only thing that was ever holding me back in my life was alcohol. I had this vision of who I could be, this potential that I was always connected to. And I knew that the only thing that was stopping me from getting there 
was alcohol. Like when I wasn't drinking, I was a stud. I was on top of my game. I did my, you know, I was, I was good. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, man, I just went cold turkey. And uh, the first few weeks were rough and brutal and I sleep sucked and I was anxious and all, all the things, man. It's like when you've been drinking, drinking and, and drugging for 15 years, it's like that's, that's the price that you have to pay. The withdrawal is, is, you know, your body screaming at you. You know, so yeah. so I went cold turkey. I don't recommend everybody does. I mean, you know, if you're concerned with the volume that you're drinking, if you're drinking a really high level, talk to your doctor. And typically, you know, maybe they'll have you taper down typically 10% a day over like a 10 day period. Or if you're really drinking a lot, you maybe need medical, you know, support and uh, assisted detox. But um, yeah, it's a little bit different for everybody. <laughs> Yeah. And then, and then socially, how did you go? Cause that's the one thing that I really think about. Like I would, it would be a hole in my social life. I feel like whenever I've thought about going to a, to a thing and not drinking up, I've always imagined that it would be like the, the, the central topic of conversation yeah, and not, and, and may, and maybe because I brought it up too, you know, not because anyone asked me and makes a thing out of it. You know, it'd probably be me going, yeah, I'm not drinking. Yeah, I'm not drinking right now. And, you know, and I, yeah. and I I don't really want it to be the centerpiece of my social life either. So how did you do it? So for me, man, like I just went monk mode. And this is what okay. this is the mindset that I recommend everybody who quits drinking, who really has a problematic relationship with alcohol to consider. Like, listen, from 12 to 25, 12 to 30, you look at your a human's value system and its hierarchy and fun and socializing is at the top. But when mm-hmm. you quit drinking, you, you adapt and you're forced to reevaluate your values. And so over time, naturally, socializing and constantly going out, like it, it doesn't become as important, right? Like it doesn't mean that you don't do that. But like I would say the first 90 days minimum like just go all in on you, you know, forget the bar Mm -hmm. scene. You know, if you want to meet up with friends, go for a hike, you know, go out to dinner together, go watch a movie, go hit a workout. But like, as far as like, I would say be of the mindset where you're going to go all in on you. Like quitting drinking is a major life choice. It is a major fork in the road. You know, if there's a book written about you, the the chapter of you quitting drinking is the climax. There's going to be a massive shift in your life when you finally do it. So consider that like, you know, quitting drinking. And again, it depends on if it's a bad habit or if you have alcohol use disorder, alcoholism. But if you're on that side of the ballpark, like consider the first year of your life, just going inward, figure out who you Mm -hmm. are, figure out what you want to do. Start reading books, start listening to podcasts, start watching videos, hire a coach, get involved in a community of like-minded people. Like there's so many things that we need to do when we quit drinking, if we want to make this thing sustainable, as far as evolving uh, our mindset, our emotional system, learning new ways to cope with stress, learning how to manage our mind, learning how to, you know, regulate our emotions, right? Setting goals. You've got all this time back now. So it's like, dude, let's start pursuing those goals. Instead of wasting the weekends, like we were drinking, Let's start a side hustle. Let's start acquiring new skills. Let's start, you know, um, kind of a a long-winded answer for how do you handle the social thing? Dude, I think you just be honest. You know, like 
there's all types of things that you can say to people. But I think if you just lead with honesty, hey, alcohol just really wasn't sitting well for me. It was kind of getting mm-hmm. in the way of my health and the goals that I have. And I've just I've I've just kind of reevaluated and and I'm just not drinking right now. And I would appreciate it if you stop bugging me about it and trying to like push me into it. Like I I've thought long and hard about this and you trying to have me take a shot or have a beer isn't going to change my mind. So let's hang, let's do our thing. You can go ahead and enjoy. Don't worry about me, but I'm just not drinking right now. Yeah. And then what about having like, do you go to parties now and not drink and you have a good time? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, it's like, Again, this goes back to the conditioning. We're conditioned to think that every party or social gathering is an excuse to drink. And it mm-hmm. maybe it is. But really, a party and a social gathering is probably a celebration for something. And it's an opportunity to network and meet new people and to have good quality conversations and to maybe introduce, you know, bring on a new friend or meet somebody. Like, yeah. rather than just being self-focused, going in and just thinking about, okay, how many drinks am I going to have? Or what's that look like? Like go in and, and place the attention on other people, you know, be genuinely interested in somebody, ask their story, get to know them, you know, and, and use it as an opportunity to, to build something. And it's like, it's like, yeah, you do that too while you're drinking, but you can also absolutely do it while you're sober, you know, and I go to parties and I hang for an hour, two hours and once everybody starts getting drunk and the volume goes up and everybody starts laughing at shit that's really not that funny anymore, I just drive home and I don't have to worry about getting a DUI and I get to wake up early the next day and and do my thing and mm-hmm. be free of regret and shame and guilt and hangovers and everything else. Have you noticed that people laugh at stupid shit when they're... I mean, I know that they do. I just... Have you noticed that a lot? I mean, it happens, you know? Yeah. <laughs> just wondering if that's a thing that... Because I'm yet to go to a party and be sober. So I'm wondering if <laughs> it's an interesting when you do start doing that, you realize like how stupid people are. Yeah, you do. You know, you go to a bar <laughs> sober, you go to a, a, a party where everybody's drinking. Within about an hour to an hour and a half, um, it's you're like, wow. <laughs> you know, you don't realize it when you're in it. But when you're on the outside looking in, it's it's pretty wild, actually. All of my clients say that. They're like, you know, they go on vacations or wherever, and they're like, wow, like, I'm glad that's not me anymore. Mm-hmm. So this newfound life that you have, what is your morning routine? I always love morning routines. I'd love to hear what yours is. Yeah, man. So get up, take cold shower, meditation, uh, a visualization, um, I journal, Sometimes I read, sometimes I don't. Depends on kind of like where I'm oscillating, but um, that's the core of it. And then exercise. Yeah. And then what um, What do you like? What's the visualization? Yeah. So visualization is I'll either do it with my meditation or I'll do it with my journaling. So basically what I'm, I'm really doing is I'm, I'm closing my eyes and I'm like architecting the path forward. I'm architecting the vision, the goal the thing that I'm moving towards and the things that I want to manifest and create in my reality. And so I add color and texture and detail and I try to notice what's in the environment and I I, I construct it. And then I tap into the feelings of what it would feel like if that was my life now. So Mm. how much more freedom would I have? How much more connection? How much more love? 
how much more appreciation, how much more happiness or joy or whatever. So I, I architect it and then I pull the energy that resonates with that and I pull it into my body and I feel it in my body and I allow myself to bask in those feelings and to become familiar with what it feels like to be just living in a state of joy and connection and love and abundance. And I try to maintain those feelings in my body because when you dig into the world of manifestation and law of attraction, all these things, it's, it's the, it's the field, it's your energy system, which is what attracts the things that you want for yourself in your life. So, you know, there's a a great book by Neville Goddard, um, one of like the OGs in like the personal development space from the fifties and sixties, that's called the wealth mindset. And he says, the real key is architecting and visualizing, being super clear, crystal clear on what it is that you want. Mm-hmm. Then once you have that, then f- feel those feelings in your body. And he says, maintain those feelings as long as you can. But people struggle because their outside world, their circumstances haven't caught up. But he says, yep. if you can maintain those feelings, despite all odds, despite everything else outside of you not conforming to that, Eventually, once those feelings become the new baseline, your normal natural state, that's when all the shifts begin to occur because we think and we act from the state that we're in, our physiology. So that, yes. that's really the key. Yeah, it's interesting because that's the law of attraction is, is kind of feeling the feelings that you want to feel from the thing that you want to get, which, which is so interesting to me because that's actually what you want anyway is yeah. just that feeling, feeling, you know? So it's like, you're trying to kind of push your body into feeling this way, which is just the feeling of getting what you want to get, which is the fulfillment and the success, which is all you want anyway, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of funny because my idea of success has changed and shifted over the years. I used to wait for phone. I'm an actor. So I used to wait for phone calls to tell me whether I was successful or not. And then I've considered, and then, you know, so there's a writer's strike right now. So nothing is happening or there's about to be a writer's strike. Nothing is happening in the acting world. So therefore I'm not a success. I'm, it's impossible that I could be a success right now. Literally impossible. So I've thought about this and I've gone, okay, well, what is it the feeling that you want to feel from the success that you're looking to get? And it's fulfillment, creativity, you know, um, and alignment. Those are the things that you're looking to feel from the success that you're looking to get in the, in, you know, in the real world. When actually I was, I'm able to achieve that without getting the phone call or achieving it in the real world. So you kind of think the law of attraction is a funny, or this manifestation stuff and visualization is really interesting. And this taking in the feeling, because you're taking in the feeling in order to, to, to maybe get that thing, but also it just makes you <laughs> achieve the thing that you wanted to achieve in the first place, which is the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the feeling. We think it's the thing right? The material, Mm -hmm. materialistic, physical thing, but it's, it's the feeling that that gives you, right? And if you can tap into the feelings first and recognize those and become familiar with those, then the actions that you take are going to be of higher caliber. The thoughts that you have are going to be of higher caliber and in alignment and in resonance with those good positive feelings. Whereas if it's on the opposite set of the spectrum and you're feeling anxious and depressed and down and like you don't have it and you lack it and you're in this perpetual state of desire, right? The universe is just going to give you more of that and your actions Mm -hmm. and your 
thoughts and your behaviors are going to be reflective of that energy, that anxiety, that depression, that perpetual state of desire of not having it, right? So yeah. reality really is a mirror. Consciousness is a mirror. The world that you see out there, the world that you think exists outside of the confines of your five sensory data apparatus, your eyes, what you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, it's an illusion. It is a projection of what you see or what is inside of you. That's why a thousand people can watch the same movie and have a thousand different interpretations of it, right? The world out there is objective. It's meaningless. It's neutral. It takes a subjective witness, a conscious observer with all the data it's taken in from the time it was born and all the information it's taken in to architect a perception, a meaning. And that's what this game is, man. Overcoming an addiction, leveling up, becoming the best version of yourself, healing, growing, fulfilling your potential. It's this journey of returning deeply home to yourself to begin really learning how to manage this profoundly in incredible supercomputer that we inhabit that allows us to interface with this dimension, that allows us to create, to take something that is abstract, that exists within the mind, which is undefinable. You can't see consciousness. You, you can't locate it in a brain. And then you can manifest it, you can create it, you can architect it through the energy of your voice, through your hands, right? Being able to learn how to develop a, a sense of agency and sovereignty over the system, I feel like is why we're really here. And alcohol is a distraction to that. Yeah, Badia, thanks so much for coming on the Zaddy Zone. Um, would you just tell us how we can keep in contact with you, follow you, get in touch with you? Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Luke. Um, so you can visit my website, www.thestopdrinkingcoach.com to learn more, you know, about me and the program. Um, definitely check out my podcast. If you struggle with alcohol or if you like some of what we talked about today, I go deep in my podcast. I've got, I think 20 episodes on there. Um, the stop drinking coach it's available on Spotify and Apple. Um, my main platform was TikTok. Um, so I've got 250,000 followers on TikTok. I've got over 200 videos there going really deep into all this stuff. So you can definitely check mm -hmm. out my TikTok. And then if you want to connect with me, maybe on a more personal level, follow me on Instagram at the stop drinking coach on Instagram at stop drinking coach on TikTok. So Instagram has a, the TikTok is just at stop drinking coach. But if you just Google, you know, stop drinking coach, I should pop up everywhere. Beautiful, mate. Thanks so much. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Zaddy Zone, I encourage you to subscribe and rate our podcast five stars. And if you feel so generous, please write a review. Say how much you loved it. Um, I only want to provide value to you, and I hope you're feeling some value by listening to it. We're not asking for any money. Just a nice old rate, review, subscribe. XOXO, Zaddy. <laughs>